Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you, and rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour as we go over this past weekend in, in racing and preview the next couple weeks. Joining me, me in the studio are Mr. Gray Warren and Mr. Richard Uden. Fellas, how we doing tonight? Very good, thank you. Good weekend of racing, all the, all the major series we're in, we had a... Uh, uh, Indy cars at Road America. Uh, Alexander putting on a road racing clinic. Uh, nobody could come close. Um, the uh, Cup cars were out in Sonoma uh, for their first road race of the year. Uh, at the end of the day, it was Martin Truex taking the win. Uh, I believe that's his second uh, consecutive Sonoma win. Is that correct, Gray? Let me see. Uh, Truex won third, last year, right? His, third. It's his third, third win, and his second in a row. But his third win, I think he won out there the year. But it's been... Uh, Maybe two years ago, probably. So he's won like three out of the last maybe five out there, something like that. Yeah, he's uh, he's actually shown that he he knows his way around Sonoma. Yeah. And and then Formula One was in France at the dizzying spirograph of a circuit. <laughs> and uh, once again, Mercedes won too. Lewis Hamilton taking the win there. Uh, we'll talk about Sonoma later. We'll talk about France later. But hey, let's talk about Road America. Um, one of the classic road courses um, just in the country, in the world. I mean, it's a beautiful place. Uh, it's the, the, the landscaping is beautiful, the greenery, the trees. It's a wonderful place to watch a race. It's a four-mile circuit. And Alexander Rossi started from second place, um, took the lead from Colton Herta, who was the youngest pole sitter in IndyCar history, and never looked back after taking the lead on lap one. Uh, Rossi led 54 of 55 laps, uh, only allowing Graham Rahal to grab uh, one, one lap in the lead during a pit stop exchange. So Rossi was untouchable all day. Behind Rossi, there was a lot of a lot of action. So Richard, you got a chance to watch some of this. You got to see uh, Scott Dixon spin on the opening lap and go all the way down to last place. <laughs> he did. Did, didn't he? Yeah, he uh, he was a little bit lucky there. He got taken up by uh, was it Ryan Hunter Ray that clipped him there? At, uh, yep, yep, Ryan Hunter Ray. Yep. 
turn five, I think it was. Um, but you know, it was sort of classic, uh, classic Dixon, wasn't it? You know, it, it, in a perverse way, he it probably was like, yeah, come on, you know, I can, I can show what I'm made of now and uh, and go out there and uh, you know do his fuel mileage runs and uh, take a car that's in last place and bring it back to was it fifth he finished? I believe so. Yeah, got all the way into the top five. Yeah, so. So yeah, uh, that's uh, that's exactly you know I'm sure. I'm sure he didn't like being taken out, but it's it's probably like red rag to a bull, isn't it? It's uh, you know an opportunity for him to to show what he's worth. Yeah, really. I mean, he was he was passing cars left and right, putting up incredible lap times, saving the fuel, managing the tires, managing the strategy. Um, and we've seen Dixon do this before. There was a couple of years ago at Mid Ohio, he dropped all the way from to last and ended up winning by the end of the day. And, again, this type of circuit suits Dixon's style. Dixon does not want to be the guy left out of this championship battle that is now only seven points between um, Alexander Rossi or um, and Joseph Newgarden. Newgarden, seven points ahead. Uh, Rossi taking his second win of the year uh, to Newgarden's three. But uh, seven-point separation there. And then I then, then Dixon is, is – Dixon is – Fourth or fifth, nearly 100 points behind, but that's that's not enough to count Dixon out. I mean, he's always kind of stiff. If he gets more than 100 points behind, that's too much. So uh, uh, he's still where he feels he, he could be a factor in this thing. And then you've got the willpower, Simon Pagano, and Takuma Sato all in the mix for this championship. But it looks more and more like it's going to come down to Rossi and Newgarden. Uh, Newgarden finished third on the day. His teammate Will Power was second, uh, but they were both uh, a half a minute behind Rossi. But there was some really good racing, really good action during the race. Colton Herta, in particular, had kind of an up and down day. You know, qualified on pole, nipped Rossi for the pole. Um, he did a bit more than nip him, didn't he? It was a good half a second, wasn't it? I don't know. I don't know if it was a half a second, but it was a. Uh, he was the. Uh, he was the only one in that. I remember looking at the the starting lineup. He was the only one in that uh, time bracket that I saw. Anyway, uh, you know, well, one, he minute, was one minute, one minute forty twos or whatever it was. Every yeah, he was. He was the only guy in the forty twos. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know if it was a half second or, or, or you know. But either way, he um, he took the pole. But then you know, Rossi was able to get that advantage um, for some reason. Colton Herta started on scuffed reds. Now, you have to run one sticker set of blacks and one sticker set of reds uh, during the race. Uh, to start on the scuffs means you're going to have to have another run with the stickers later. Uh, I don't know if they were anticipating an early caution or whatnot, but it just the strategy just didn't work. And then, you know, a couple laps into the race, Herta wasn't able to hold on to second place. He started going backwards. And then on his first pit stop, they, they couldn't get the fuel rig hooked up. And then he had an agonizingly long pit stop, which dropped him well back in the order. But then, like Dixon, he was able to kind of claw his way back up there and get close to the top five there by the uh, closing stages of the race. Uh, but again, he's on the wrong set of tires, and then he's just going backwards again there at the end of the race. I think he ended up 12th. I'm not sure I don't have the results in front of me, but it was – just for watching his driving, uh, a, a pretty good show. You know, like Richard, you and I were talking. In question is win a code a little bit as a strategy win, but uh, to watch his talent on display here, both in the qualifying 
and in the race, although it didn't yield the result, uh, you say there's pretty bright things in this kid's future. Oh yeah, you know, the kid kid did good. You know, um, you know, a, a very impressive qualifying performance, and then going back in it out there with, you know, an impressive drive given the circumstances with his car set up there. The, um, you know, as you mentioned, the the tire strategy was pretty um, uh, unoptimal. I think <laughs> is that a word? I know it is now. Um, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't great for him. And he went out there and did what he needed to do. So you've got to give him credit for that. Um, right. And actually, he, he finished eighth. He didn't even drop eighth, back eighth. as, 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 and even, even in as much as I had remembered. Yeah, but got to look it up. Yeah, but he was he was right up there near the in, in the oh, battle yeah. for, for the you know third, fourth. He was maybe closing on uh, Joseph a little bit. And and Graham, Graham was closing yeah. on Joseph, yeah. so Even in those last four or five laps, you know, when his tires were dropping off. You know, he, he did really well to hold on to it and to carry on there. So, uh, you know, you, you, it was uh, it was impressive, even though he was dropping back. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the kid did a good job now. Uh, another story that's just been floating around is just how bad the Ford team is. And and this is, mm. <laughs> you know, this is, uh, they've been pretty bad all year, but uh, for some reason they've been getting called out a little more lately. Uh, because I guess the the bat is just uh, has gone on too long, and again the you know Tony Kanaan finished 21st, uh, Matthias finished 20th. Uh, both these guys in the race the whole time. Uh, you know the the only guys behind them, Ed Jones had a miserable day, and Marco uh, dropped out prior to half distance with a mechanical failure. So you're talking these are the two slowest guys uh, of the field, and they're they're not just these slowest, they're remarkably slow. And, mm. and, and AJ was asked at Texas and yeah, we've got to make some changes, got to make some changes. But, uh, you know, we've heard this for a couple of years, you know, and, you know, he, he dished his whole driver lineup a few years ago, let, uh, you know, uh, Connor Daly and, um, Carlos Munoz, uh, let them go, hired, uh, the Brazilian duo of, uh, Matthias and Tony, um, and they haven't done it any better. So you got to assume the problem is the drivers. It's engineering. Um, and, and I had read a thing where they've got, they've got like two engineers where where other teams have six. Yeah, I think it's funding. A lot of it boils down to funding for for AJ's team. Well, I, I'm certain he doesn't have the budget to pay more than he's ready. Uh, but you've got guys there on small budgets. Take, for instance, our team, um, you know, or even Dale Coyne's team. I don't know what the funding gap is, but I, I do not think that uh, A.J. Foyt is the least funded um, team on the thing. I just think it's a you know, matter of management, direction, morale in the shop, and certainly engineering, first and foremost. So, uh, But it's uh, – Tony Kanaan has been very vocal because a lot of folks are saying, well, well, TK, time to retire, time to retire, and Tony has been – <laughs> by biting back, biting back at some folks, and no, I'll retire when I'm ready on on my terms. But my gosh, it doesn't look good for Tony or or for Matthias, who's who who did so who was so impressive in his rookie year, uh, working with what he had to work with. Let's talk about the Carlin team and um, Patty Award, Patricia Award, uh, was back in the Carlin car after it was kind of announced that his. His funding had dried up, you know, and they were going to put uh, somebody, you know, somebody else in the car. So, but he's, I guess they just don't have somebody else right there to put in the car. So, so he's in there and, but, but he's also a Red Bull junior team. Red Bull 
has made it very well known that they have no interest in funding funding um, his IndyCar ride, and and all of uh, awards money dried up in Indianapolis. So they they are, however, interested in funding him in a Formula Two ride. So Richard, you know a little bit about this. Uh, Paddle's going to run a Formula Two race this coming weekend. Yeah, he's going to uh, MP Motorsport, who are uh, a team that uh, Jordan King drives for, who was the, the former um, Ed Carpenter Racing driver. So uh, he'll be familiar to the uh, teams, at least familiar to the some of the, the IndyCar fans out through, through Jordan King. Uh, it'll be fascinating to see how it gets on. You know, it really will. Um, it's a big step up. Uh, you know... It's definitely in, not necessarily in terms of machinery, but in terms of publicity, I think is probably the right word to to look at it in terms of, uh, you know, there'll be a lot of eyes on him there, especially being part of the Red Bull Junior setup to go out there and, uh, you know, c- c- compete on a stage where the Red Bull bigwigs, if you like, are, are watching and paying attention to what you're doing. So there'll be pressure on the kid, but. I don't doubt for one minute that he'll be able to uh, to step up and uh, and do the business there this uh, this weekend. You don't doubt that he will, or you oh, doubt I think that he will? I don't. Th- he'll go there and he'll do well. I think he's got talent, that kid. Uh, I really do. Um, I think he's uh, he'll go and give a very very good account of himself. Yeah, certainly. Uh, the kid has talent, and a lot of folks would like to see him remain in IndyCar. And you know, the biggest thing, folks are like, why? You know, why wouldn't? How come this Red Bull Junior team does not result in in him staying in IndyCar? Well, I mean the answer is simple. Red Bull is looking for people to put into their Formula One program. Yeah. In IndyCar in its current format, as much as I love IndyCar, is not a stepping stone to Formula One. Now back back in the nineties it was. Back in the nineties yeah. a, a cart championship cart a cart yeah. championship was a legitimate springboard into Formula One. Look at, you know, Michael Andretti, Montoya, Zanardi. Cristiano D'Amato, uh, Sebastian Bourdais, uh, but the cars were much more similar. The the kart cars and the Formula One cars were much more similar to one another than the current Indy cars and Formula One cars are now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it only makes sense that Red Bull is really not interested in keeping him in an Indy car as much as Indy car fans would love to see that. Um, their, their, investment, okay. their investment in him is to eventually get him to, you know, reserve driver with Red Bull or in a Toro Rosso car? Am I, uh, am I correct in assuming I, that? I think that would be you know, a fair assumption. I think if he if he goes there and, and does well, it wouldn't be, you know, beyond the realms of possibility to see him in a, a Toro Rosso next year. Um, but I think, I, I, think, I think one of the reasons they're doing it is it's a good, it's a, you know, he's obviously come in very well in Indy Lights. Um, he's done, you know, well in the, the races he's run for, for Carlin and the other teams that he's dri- driven for in, in IndyCar. But this is, a, for want of a better word, uh, a known quantity for the, you know, Dieter Matterschmitz and, uh, um, and, and the like. And, uh, you know, it gives them an opportunity to sort of see him firsthand and, you know they're obviously going to be at that race as well, um, so it'll, so it'll be an opportunity for them to really get a, a feel for what the kid's capable of, rather than just you know reading something on the internet. Oh, for sure, yeah. Now, Richard, that's not how Red Bull go about picking their drivers, but um, <laughs> I would hope not. But you never know; the inter- internet is powerful. So, but uh, now I'm correct in in my statement that Formula Two uh, has a lot 
less inequity than Formula One. Formula Two is pretty. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me. What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun with over eighty casino style games to choose from. You too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a world. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Close to a spec series, right? All the Correct. all the all the teams have very similar equipment. They're a Dallara's chassis with a Renault engine. Um, the technology this is a normal V8, I believe. Um, there's no concept of hybrid systems or anything like that. They do have DRS. Um, it's a pretty good. It's a pretty good series, actually. It's quite entertaining. Um, it's almost like what you want Formula One to be. Really, they run two races each weekend. They run a a sprint race and a feature race. The feature race, you have a pit stop thrown in there. Um, and I believe it's the same as Formula One. You have to run two sets of tyres, or you know, two different compound tyres. Uh, and then the, the sprint races are reverse grid based on the top eight. So if you finish eighth in the feature race, you'll start on pole in the, uh, in, in the sprint race. Um, and it's a great series. I mean, you see so many good guys come through there. And it's a there's not many... F2 championship winners that don't, or GP2 winners as it used to be in the past, that don't go on and uh, you know have, have be really competitive in in uh, in Formula One. So who are some? Like, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't Formula follow Formula Two a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it's rarely televised in the US, but for some reason, uh, Mav TV, I can watch Formula Four races all the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which which are actually really fun to watch as well, uh, but uh, so who are some of the recent Formula Two champions that uh, that that we see in Formula One now? And I know it used to be GP two. Yeah, a couple of years ago you had Charles Leclerc won it. Um, George Russell won it last year with Lando Norris coming second, Alexander Albon coming third. Um, I know Hamilton's won it when it was GP two. Uh, Rosberg won it when it was GP two. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think the last. Gasly won it. I'm trying to think the Giovinazzi's been it there. I'm trying to think the last guy to win it and not have a regular Formula One drive. Um, Van Dorn won it. I'm, I'm just going through the list here. But, you know, you, you basically, if you win that, you fast track. Julian Palmer is probably the most recent driver who's been, yeah, when it's come to Formula One. Yeah, Julian Palmer. Yeah, he was with Renault for a while, correct? Okay, here we go. Fabio Lima. Okay, see, I've never heard of him. 2013, and what's he done since then? He was a test driver for Manor in 2015, and that's it. He hasn't done anything since. Done a bit of Formula E, but no, he he pretty much retired now. And he's only 30. Anyway. So so there you go. Other than that one guy... um, Oh yeah, if you can go in there and can compete, and it helps again because your your face is out there. You know, you're 
the, the, the say the big guys, the team bosses, uh, you know, they're sat on the pit wall getting ready for the Formula One race. They just have to look over and see what's going on, and uh, you know, they'll pick you up. So, do you feel like um, that Pato Award? Because you had said something about maybe getting into a Torosso next year. Uh, do you think he needs like a full year in in Formula Two, or, um, or or do you think they'll they'll get him in a Formula One car that quick? Because honestly, the the kid's got yeah he did well in Indy Lights. He's got less than a half season of um of Indy car behind him. I mean, you know, he sat out a few, missed the five hundred, so he's he doesn't have tons of experience or tons of results. I, I don't uh, you know there's so many guys in that. Red Bull Junior program, you think they'd drop him right into a Taurus, or you think they'd put him in a full season of uh, F2 next year? Uh, I, I don't know how much sway they have over his career. Obviously, he's got a lot of input into, uh, um, you know, he, he's, he's got a contract, I believe, with some of the IndyCar teams for the remainder of this year. But then you look at what they're doing, you know, it, do, do they turn around? I mean, he's, this is a one-risk deal to, to replace a driver that's been suspended. Uh, if he goes out here and does well, do they, you know, do they they shoehorn him into another seat for the rest of the year? Um, I, I I don't know. Or do they turn around and give him a full, you know, F2 season next year uh, with a look to a Toros to drive in in 2021? Um, who knows? But it'll be it's interesting, and you know, the kid deserves it without any doubt. The kid really does deserve it. Interesting, interesting, yeah. And we can also talk about interesting is. Uh, you know, speaking of where people are going to be next year, uh, you know, it, it seems like the whole silly season hinges on what Alexander Rossi is going to do. Uh, Rossi's contract is up. Yeah, especially. Well yeah. And, um, you know, Andretti feels like he's, you know, he's he said he's pretty confident he'll be able to uh, uh, retain Alex, uh, which if he retains Alex, the pretty much everything stays as is. There's not going to be a lot of more shuffling there. Uh, but it seems like everybody wants to put. Rossi in a Penske car. Every journalist, every armchair, you know, race car driver, everybody except like Roger Penske and Tim Sindrick, who who have been kind of mum on the subject. Uh, and it's 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 quite well known that Sindrick is not a fan of the four car team. You know, they they had the four car team for a while, uh, and then they they ended up farming off Elio to. Uh, um, sports cars to get back to that three-car team where they feel like they work a bit more efficiently. Um, so everybody is, oh, we're going to have Rossi in a fourth car or, uh, you know, and then Colton Hurd is going to jump into Rossi's ride at Andretti or Roger's going to sign Colton Herta and and Rossi's going to stay put. So I, I don't see, I don't see Penske expanding, right? But I also hear rumors, rumblings, from some folks that actually work within a Penske organization that maybe something is in the works. So this will all be interesting to see how it plays out. But uh, now, Richard, you had a, a few comments on this uh, before we went on the air. <laughs> they, they, yeah. they, you don't, you said you don't see Rossi staying with Andretti. So uh, what, what are your thoughts and why do you feel that way? My, my just opinion is at the end of the day, the guy's good. The guy is seriously good. You know, he's he's up there, obviously, with the, you know, the top three or four guys in the series. Um, if he was going to be there next year, they'd have a contract. You know, 
I know there's not a lot of cash flowing around in IndyCar like there is some of the other series, but if you're going to get a kid in a car that good, you're going to find money, and that money will be available now. Um, I just think it's very, very difficult to be content that uh, you know they're not going to have that done, that deal done. Um, I. I've heard, I, I don't know. I mean, there was, you know, two weeks ago we were talking about it going off to, uh, to Ganassi to replace uh, or to drive a tank car. Uh, you know, who knows? Who knows? But um, I, I, said, I just can't see him at Andretti, which would be a shame for the, for the team or for, you know, for, for the Andretti team, because I think he's a, you know, he's a very, very good driver, obviously. And, uh, you know, they're a good um they're a good setup and they've done very well with him. But I think for his career, I think he's, you know, if he, I don't know what his aspirations are. Are his aspirations to get back into the Formula One? I don't know. But if they are. Let, I, last I heard, he was, had no interest in going back to Formula One. But you never know. Stick a big enough check under the kid's nose and he'll be there before you know it. But you know, look, depends, you look on the, depends on the opportunity. Because he had said he, he much prefer to be in a situation where he can win than run in the manner at the back of the pack. Now, yeah, put a, oh, no, I, uh, I a Mercedes or Ferrari them. money in front of him, and then it might be a different story. Now, Gray, you want to jump in? Yeah, you know, you talk about Penske is the is the flagship team of uh, of IndyCar. I don't care, you know, what, what way you slice it. I mean, Ganassi's and Andretti. They have, they, you know, they, they, they've got good cars, they've got good drivers, but Penske always seems to pluck the best, the best. You know, look at New Garden. You know, New Garden was a hot, hot topic coming along. You know, it was winning races for the team he was with previously, and who comes along and plucks him? You know, Penske gets him, and, and he immediately pays dividends for Penske. I think the same thing. You know, I, it's kind of like, you know. Uh, Penske is 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 the measuring stick in in IndyCar, and and I think I don't know whether secretly the, all those guys covet a Penske ride, you know, at some point in their career. Uh, I would say that would be be the case, but um, yeah, I think uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see see uh, Rossi end up in a Penske car at, at some point uh, in his career. And as far as him going back to Formula One. Not unless he gets one of the top rides, and I'm talking, and and those are very few and far between. Why would you want to go back to Formula One where you're gonna where you're racing for uh, uh, fourth on back? You know, it's, exactly, exactly. It's the same the same cars, the same cars, the same teams fight for the podium each uh, week. Apart. Every once every once in a while, somebody will. Uh, I'll, I'll get in and, and get a third place or something, you know. But but basically, the re- you know the rest of those guys are running for table scraps. Uh, apart from uh, apart from ten times the salary, I, I can't imagine why you'd want to do it. Yeah, well, right. I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, but yeah, I mean, the, sa- the salary it's, it's got to be the money because you're not going to win, obviously, you know. And and I think you know, uh, trading uh, checkered flags for salary. Who knows? I mean, you know, you come over in the States and you're going to be in a competitive ride. You know that every week, week in and week out, you're going to have a shot to win the race. And and you can, and you can market yourself and write your own ticket. Obviously, you're not going to make the uh, that 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 huge money uh, 
in, in Formula One, but still, again, you can parlay it and make a nice, make a really nice living. It sets up several generations of your family, uh, you know, racing in the states. Certainly. Oh, for sure. For sure, yeah. So I, I don't, I, I, I'd hate to think that Rousey is motivated by money, but, but then again, you know, aren't we all? And, yeah, well, and it's going to come down to who, you know, who offers him the best deal, and and if if Penske can swing it. You know, and we know Roger can. You know, we've, Roger has funded cars out of his pocket before. Uh, you recall Will Power, his first ride with uh, Penske was in a, a bright yellow Penske truck leasing. was yeah. a sponsor before they brought Verizon on. Um, and, uh, you know, you got to think that Honda Honda is really fond of Rossi, too. And maybe Honda will, will chip in uh, to keep him there with Andretti. But, but then again, there's another underlying rumor. That 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 Michael may be being courted by Chevrolet once again, and mm-hmm. this this I just heard wind of uh, over the last couple of days. So uh, we'll just have to see how it all plays out. But uh, for Rossi's part right now, uh, when anybody asks him, he says it's all out of his hands. As a matter of fact, he told a reporter the other day, it's in God's hands, which yeah. is uh, that's a that's a real non-answer right there. But uh, he wants to focus on winning his first championship and well, let, you know, without, unless, without, without the distraction of uh, what he's doing next year. So unless, unless Mercedes or Ferrari give you, give you the call, what's, what's the point? You know, what, what's, you know, what's the point? I mean, you can say, yeah, we're going to pay you this enormous salary and you go sign with Alfa Romeo or, and, and, and you, you don't have a chance in hell of winning the race, but you're going to get out there and you're going to make laps every, you know, every Grand Prix. You know, and and you you're gonna get uh, try to race for somewhere in the, from from fourth through twelfth, you know, uh, and 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 you you would gauge your success based on on that. I I just think you know, competitive, someone truly competitive as Rossi comes comes out, you know, as he as he projects himself, you know, he'd rather be in a car that he can actually drive to the front and win races. That's that's my feeling. That's what I that's what I I get from him. I just don't see him, you know, being taking a ride like Lance Stroll or somebody and just you know riding around, you know. Oh, I agree. Yeah, and and he truly loves the IndyCar series well. He loves the uh, atmosphere in the paddock and and uh, you know he gets along well with his competitors and he gets along well with his uh, his engineer. So I mean he's he's got a very happy situation right and, now. And he but you know, he's a fierce competitor. You look at the way oh, he look is. At, he look is. At, look at his driving style. And I mean he gets at and in some of the races he obliterates the field. I mean he's up there and then of course he's and sometimes he gets uh uh he gets criticized for for his driving style. But there again, he's he's fiercely competitive and he goes to the front. He gets everything he can out of his car. And I think basically, uh, you know, you can you can go to Formula One and get everything you can out of a out of a tenth place car and maybe make it an eighth place car or seventh place car. But still, what's what's it going to get? You know, you you're not uh, you're not doing anything for yourself unless uh, unless you get the phone call from Mercedes or Ferrari. There you go. Now, speaking of Mercedes and Ferrari, we did have a Formula One race at Circuit Paul Ricard. Uh, now, Richard, the Formula One has been accused of being boring, uh, but for some reason, this particular race has got 
everyone up in arms uh, about, about how boring it was. I mean, we've seen some boring races. We've seen some boring seasons. We've seen, you know, one-team domination in the past. But it just seemed like this particular weekend, yeah. everything came to a head, and everybody was just, you know, I'm talking fans and whatnot and just media. Just they said this race was just throw it away, so boring, and a lot of people said I'm done with F1. So uh, what was what was it about the race here at Paul Ricard that really broke you know, broke the camel's back? Uh, the Hamilton dominated, you know. But that's uh, nothing new. No, of course not. But that was I mean that was fundamentally what it was. I think. Uh, you know, he, he was dominant, and people don't like to watch that. You know, they, they want a bit of entertainment. They want a bit of excitement. And, uh, you know, on the back of a pretty entertaining, um, you know, Canadian Grand Prix where I believe Vettel should have won that, it's it's difficult to, uh, excuse me, to sort of get that excitement back about it. I agree, yeah. So You know, one of the things that... that that NASCAR and, and IndyCar uh, build their racing on is is um, there is there is more parity in those series than, than there is Formula One without a doubt, and and that that lends itself to more on track action when you have green flag passes uh, when 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 guys aren't passing one another in the pits but actually going wheel to wheel. Like you see in IndyCar and 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 stock car racing and NASCAR, where the guys actually make passes for the lead uh, during the course of the uh, of competition, that is what excites the fans, and that is what Formula One has lacked for a long, long time. Uh, basically, um, although the ironic thing was, sorry, just to interrupt you there, Greg. Yeah, go ahead. Last, go ahead. Last year, uh, the French Grand Prix had more passes than any other race. Right. Oh, I think it was third on the list. Sorry, third right. on the list. So it's like it's not, you know. You talking about you talking about passes throughout the field. From, yes. From, yeah, from yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. And and and, and you know they did show some did, did show some shots Sunday, you know, uh, back in the pack. And we're talking guys racing from uh, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth. Those guys were mixing it up back there. They were running close together and wheel to wheel and everything, but. You didn't see the, you don't see a lot of that because the focus again is on the guys up front and running running for the win and and you know once those once those top five or six cars stretch out you know you you're gonna have to look back further in the field to see quality passes or what I would call quality passes passes for position and whatnot but you know from the from the from the top third of the field they're they're non-existent. No, true. No, no, no you're very true. Because yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, it's just the 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 general makeup of it. I mean, there's nothing you can do about right. it. Right, it's just the nature you of the. You, you have, you know, we talked about this, you know, many times. You put the fastest car at the front and the slowest car at the back, and you expect something to be different. Right. Uh, no, no, it's the nature of the. It's it's just the nature of the beast, and and, and the cars are so uh, they're, they're technological marvels, and basically, you know, you can't fault the teams. You know that, that that come to the racetrack and prepare 
and and have the budget to prepare to come and and do the very best they can. They 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 don't they don't care if the race is boring. They're there for one thing one thing and one thing only. They don't care. You know, it doesn't matter to them. I'm sure Lewis Hamilton didn't care if if anybody even got close to him. He, all he wanted to do was check out and and uh, and get to the checkered flag first. And I mean, they don't they don't care really what uh, what they do in their job. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Now, Richard, there a lot of folks are calling for they need to do something to fix Formula One. Yeah. Now, what What would be uh, you know because there's you know new rules coming up. Uh, I think I think they said that the the 2021 rules package is delayed now. Uh, well, until the end of the year. I mean, it's not a it's it's not an outright delay. Right, but they they've not announced anything yet. But uh, do you feel like a spending cap? would be a way to kind of, uh, uh, you know, because we've seen these, you know, budget caps in stick and ball sports where they try to get some uh, equity around there. But I, I was looking yeah, at some, I I was looking at some, I was looking at some numbers today, and it said, like, you know, say uh, 450 million pounds uh, a year spent by Mercedes and Ferrari compared to then I think Red Bull is 300 and some million uh, but but these guys down, you know, your Haas and Williams and Force India are all about spending 120 to 150 yeah. million pounds. So that that's huge inequity. Yeah. So, so me, does, I mean, does does a spending cap work? Let me throw think? something. Let me throw something out there, and Richard can 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 address this well this this well too. I heard a thing the other night on on radio, and it, and it was comparing the four major soccer leagues in Europe. And there's no there's no spending cap. There's no uh, there's nothing like we have in American sports where you have a salary cap. You know, like the NFL, uh, baseball, bas- professional baseball, professional basketball. Over in those four leagues, and, and Richard can speak to this. They have been dominated by the same teams, same couple of teams, all all four of those leagues for the last two decades. They've only several of them have only had one or two winners. Uh, to, a, to a greater extent, yeah. Yeah, right. Because they outspend everybody because and, and they're wealthy teams and they don't have to worry about a salary cap. They go and get the players they want, and that that shows up in their success. Conversely. Now, Conversely, when you compare that to the NFL, the NBA, and, and Major League Baseball, where there is that, you see more parity over the course of time, and you see more more teams. Obviously, you think people say, yeah, you got New England Patriots. Yeah, they've won six championships, but it's taken them 20-plus years to do it. But well, other teams- the other thing about the Patriots that's interesting, I know we're not a football show, is that, that Tom Brady is actually one of the – He's a 13th highest paid quarterback. Right, because he allows the team to – he'd rather win than be the highest-paid guy in the league exactly. to, allow, to allow the team. So you've got uh, you've got a, a little give and take there. But he, that, right, uh, he does that within the framework of the – Of the salary cap. Of the salary right, cap. Right, but what, so. I, but what I'm saying is one well, reason I threw out the, 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 the soccer leagues because they don't have a salary cap, and they're dominated by the – all four of those leagues are pretty much dominated or have been over the last decade – or two by the same teams. Same thing applies in Formula One. 
Absolutely. You know, uh, where Mercedes and Ferrari and I guess Red Bull would would be the next guy that they can they can throw all the money that they want and can can get into that. I don't know if if salary cap would be the answer. There's so many ways around that, but but I'll let uh, I'll let uh, Richard speak to that. Yeah, I mean on the on on the, uh, the, the the football or soccer or whatever you want to call it um, side of things, um, th- there is now a new rule called financial fair play where teams to spend or the the most they can only have a a certain or a maximum amount of debt. Per season compared to their income, which but, that, but that's a new thing. That's that just, is a new thing. Yeah, that's come about. Yeah, correct. and it's probably and it's probably been come about because of what what we've seen take place in the last decade or so. To a certain extent, yeah. But you see, one of the problems you've had in uh, European sports, especially the, the, the soccer leagues, are teams coming in uh, or owners coming in from the, you know, especially the Far East, you know, the Dubai, Qatar, Saudi mm-hmm. Arabia, places like that. Oil buying, money. Yeah, oil money uh, and, and buying the teams up. And it's, you know, the, the problem with that is it's inflated the markets on player transfers and made it very hard for the smaller teams to compete. Uh, I, I think if you do the same in, in Formula 1, it's very, very difficult because there's lots of ways around the cap. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of these teams now have, you know, um, advanced engineering groups. Uh, Williams is a prime example. They have, you know, McLaren and even Red Bull have you know, an advanced engineering arm. So what you see a lot of is these, um, they can move money around between those teams and, uh, you know, or between those companies. So. Red Bull Advanced or Red Bull Technologies or whatever they may be called, they'll go out and they'll design and develop a gearbox at so many hundred million dollars or whatever it costs to develop the gearbox a year, and then they'll sell it to Red Bull Technology for ten thousand dollars. So there's this, you know, that's where the, the they sort of play the game for want of a better mm-hmm. word, right? Yeah. And and sort of. I wouldn't say it's unethical, but it's probably not in the spirit of the sport, is it? Uh, that they do that, but. They, they can do it. You know, that's how the rules are written. Uh, now, I, I don't know what the, the, the fundamentals are of this new cap, but I did read um, an article but that was, um, you know, it had input from uh, Cyril, I can't pronounce his surname, I'm afraid, the uh, head of Renault Sport, saying, well, if we put this cap in of $200 million or whatever it may be, we're going to have to spend more money than we do right now to be competitive. So, it, you know, at the end of the day, the teams with the money are still going to have the money. It's very difficult to take that away from them. So yeah, you, uh, you can't take infrastructure. You can't take infrastructure away from them that they have acquired and accrued yeah. over the years. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, they're still going to have that to to go. They may not have as much, you know, money coming in, but they still don't have that's things they don't have to buy. That's exactly. stuff they already have. Exactly. I mean, right. You look at you look at uh, McLaren. They announced over the weekend that they're going to be building a new wind tunnel at their technology center. Well, I mean, that technology center is only ten years old, and they're building a new wind tunnel there already. They've been using the one out in uh, Cologne that um, uh, Toyota built when they had the form their Formula One project. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's a lot of money being thrown around on. You know, silly things. And again, if you, the teams have the money, they're going to spend it. Mm-hmm. 
All right, so so beyond a spending cap, uh, you know, well, what else can be done to to quote unquote fix Formula One, make it a little more competitive? Because you, you, what you don't want to do is is to go ahead and make it a spec series. Everybody has to run this because that, that. That, that that takes the heart and soul out of Formula yep. One, where you you build your own car yep. and, and show up at the track, which has been the appeal <laughs> of Formula yeah. One. Exactly. So well, you yeah. know, my man, you go back to. 2012, when seven different drivers, or maybe, yeah, seven different drivers won the first seven races. And what was the key to that? It was the tyres. The tyres were unpredictable. The degradation, um, yeah. You know, the the, the, the operating window of the tyre was so small that teams weren't getting the tyres turned on, for want of a better word, um, in the operating range. So you've, I think you've got to look at that. You know, what can you do on the tyre side to, um, you know, to, to sort of even the playing field a little bit. Um, you know, you, you don't want it to be a lottery and you don't want it to be silly, but, you know, you want to get away from these one-stop races for a start. You know, you want to have... I mean, is there anything wrong with having a three-stop race? Even a four-stop race, goodness, you know, say, why not? What's Why is that so bad? You know, yeah. let them go out there and do that. Uh, I would, you know, I'd love to see that. I think that's an area they do need to work on. You know, yeah, the team we... have too much tyre data, so... Don't give them tired data. Right, you know, exactly. You know, uh, I don't know how you do it and make it fair without it being a lottery. Because at the end of the day, you don't want it to be. You don't want it. You don't want every race to be like Daytona 500. You know. You know, and, and you and you think that too. We we've seen it in NASCAR too. Tires have been a, been an issue over the years, but it, it would it would give it a more of an accordion. The fields would be have a more of an accordion effect. You would have to go to tire management. You would see guys coming and going throughout yeah. the race. You would well, see guys. Get out front, and then other guys chase them down on fresher right. tires. Actually, you know, and 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 that might be add to the competition. And, and this is part of it. You know, there already is tire management, and that's half the problem. So, what do you do with that tire management? Do you have it set up so that? You know, I think the best way to do it is have it so that when the tires, you know, what what's the phrase they use? Fall off the cliff. Yeah. You know, when the tires give in, they give in. And yeah. You know, make it so that you can do, you know, one minute 25, one minute 25, one minute 25, one minute 32. Oh, okay, now I need to come in and change. You know, you, you lose that predictability of it because, you know, you listen to them. It's all about managing the tires and, and you know, staying in that temperature window. Uh, take, here's one for you. Okay, here's, this is what you do. Take away tire temperature sensors. Mm-hmm. Because the drivers have it on the dash. They know exactly the temperature of their tires. Yes. They'll, they'll know the temperature of the tires at 16 different points on that tire side. Right. Believe yep. it or not. It's ridiculous. Right. But take that away from them. So then they're going on feel. Because, you know, at the start of the race, they're getting the tire into a window. Well, you know, yeah. no, you should be able to feel that window. Right. Take, um, you're right. And, and, and take some away of some of that live telemetry that they use. They still have the technology, but just take away the live telemetry that that gives a driver has to make. He has to make decisions, you know, yeah. in the car rather than have the computer tell him what he needs to do. He uh, needs yeah. to make, he, he needs to take that that input that he's feeling transmitted through the seat of his pants and through his hands on the steering wheel and make those decisions rather than uh, sure. have the, have the, uh, you know, have them say, well, yeah, your tire temperatures are showing up. You need to do this or do that. No, yeah, I, mean, I, I agree a hundred percent. 
That would that yeah. would be a step in the right direction. Yeah. So let's 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 throw this out, okay? Because there there's a couple other news news stories from this past week. There, where I, I guess uh, Roman Grosjean had said that uh, Formula One cars are just too easy to drive, and uh, I guess Will Power had uh, had to throw his two cents in. And whoa, say that, yeah, whoa. Yes. is this the same Will Power that drives IndyCar? Right, and Will Power said Surely that yeah, IndyCars are much more difficult to drive. Uh, so, I mean, do we need to take some of those driver aids away from Formula One, make the cars a little more difficult to drive? Because even uh, you know there were. A lot, even even Lewis Hamilton chimed in and said, "Yeah, yeah relatively speaking, uh, you know, the Formula One car is easy to drive." And if you watch the uh, the videos that were posted up on some of the articles, where you're you're looking at the IndyCar driver just sawing away at the wheel, and and Hamilton's got uh, you know a, you know one hand on the wheel and uh, elbow out the window, you yeah. know, cruise cruise to a lap 14 right. seconds faster at Coda. Um, do you think that putting more of the um, of this in the driver's hands, which falls right into what you guys are talking about, the tire sensors, uh, would spice up the competition some? Or do you feel like there would still be a lot of inequity uh, with the manufacturers? I well, the, cream, the cream's going to rise yeah. to the top, no doubt about it. But I, well, I yeah, can't... but you've, you've got, like I say, right now you've got very talented guys in cars that will never see the front of the field. I don't think you can take power steering away from them because they're... Well, I'm not talking about power steering, but, I, you know... Yeah, I, I, there's a... What do you want? Do you want a car, you know, this concept of being easy to drive? I mean, the the reason they're easy to drive, and this isn't saying that the IndyCar guys don't do this, it's the, the level which the drivers are pushing themselves to on such a regular basis. They become trained to it. So... I think it's difficult to do a comparison between, excuse me, between the two series. Well, I think Alonzo said it best, you know, when he when he came to India a couple of years ago. He said that the that the driver was a more integral part of the Indy car than, than he was in Formula One, and and that you know the cars were were more difficult to drive than, than, than the car. But, I mean, that's technology. That's the technology that they put in IndyCar. Look at the look at the wings. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the, you know, Goodness you gracious. You when, you've got all, when, you, when you've got all that downforce, yeah, the cars are going to be like they're on rails. Yeah, but you look at what they did a few years ago. You know, they said, right, we're going to basically, you know, if you run a full car in a wind tunnel, that's one of your aero test days, which you're limited to under the new regulations. Mm-hmm. So then the teams turn around and said, okay, well, you're taking our wind tunnel away from us. Okay, we're going to go out and we're going to spend X hundred million dollars on supercomputers to do CFD, you know, analysis on the on the car performance instead. So, you know, no matter what toy you take away from them, they're going to find another toy to play with. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure, the sure. The only way you're going to avoid that is in a spec series, and that's just not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, we don't, yeah, we don't want, we don't want Formula 1 to become a spec series. Well, but, spec you know, series. I, but, but as I, as I, Looking back at some of my fondest uh, memories of Formula One is is when you had more or less a spec engine. You know when 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 the bulk of the field was all running the same Cosworth engine. Uh, you know, aside from the you had the Renault, the Ferrari, and the Alfa Romeo, but it was more in the constructors' hands. And then then during the turbo era, you had all these different engines that were that were relatively evenly mashed but it still was kind of more 
uh, on on the on the constructor of the car. Uh, if you recall, '82, I think I think '82 had what, eleven different winners. And the and, guy who won the championship didn't even win one of the races, isn't that correct? No, he won. Well, he won one. Was it? I thought Keki didn't win a race that year. No, he won. Yeah, he he won. He okay. won a race. Yeah, he won a race. Yeah, uh, but uh, there was so much more parity there, and I think part of that was due to uh, the fact that the, the turbos were new for everybody. It was everybody was kind of on the same level playing field, and I don't I don't think we had the inequity, the budget inequity, that we see today. So I, I, you know, there's no simple answer to it. But but at the end of the day, let me ask you both these questions before we move on and talk about the uh, NASCAR race. What do you think drives the fan to the track? The technology of the car or the drivers and the drivers' personalities and the drivers' skill? Because I think, I, it's I, think I think it's the atmosphere. I think it's the event. I think it's being yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Okay, I all right. You, know, you could. You know, you could. Uh, that's fair. Yeah. You could watch, you know, snails. You know, yeah. <clears throat> snails race out there, and people would go and watch it because it's entertaining. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the I think. It, I think. I think Richard's right a lot. It's the. It's the atmosphere. Same thing applies at all motorsports. Uh, you know, even in the states. I think. I think. You know, Formula One is is a one-off event. They they come to your town once a year, uh, every year. So you go out and see it. The, the 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 true fan does. I think I think over in Europe there's more of a sense of nationalism than than there than exists in the states here. I mean because we you know we run them just all in the United States. But when you go over there because you see it with the flags and stuff in the stands and all that, uh, and the drivers coming from from different different countries. I think that has a that has an allure in in itself for Formula One. And I think too the the car guys. You know, they're still into the, the, the technology of it. I don't care if Lewis Hamilton goes out and wins by 25 seconds. There's guys that go to see the Ferraris. There's guys that go to see the, you know, the Williams, the, the Alfa Romeos and, and, and the McLarens and whatnot and, and, and get off on, on the technology and watching those guys uh, do it. Because those guys, are, like Richard said, they are trained to do it and they are go, they're giving it all they got and they they are among the best in the world at what they do and uh and and I marvel at just watching them drive those cars around those tracks so yeah i think still you're going to have a thing. but yeah that, but the, and it, but the competition could be could be better and bring the novice fan uh into the into the fold all right, so I can conclude from our conversation that none of us know effectively how to fix F1. Yep. I, think, <laughs> so, I think Richard's got some really good ideas. I mean, Richard's got some really good ideas. Yep, yes, he does. Yeah. So, but uh, anyway, uh, so Richard, are we racing in Hungary next weekend or Austria? Or Austria? Yes. Which back in the day was the same thing, but anyway, that's a different story. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, that, yeah, <laughs> during the war, yeah, so, yeah. yeah Austria, Hungary, yeah, yeah. Yep. so. Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, no, that's I, I think that's how I got it mixed up. So let's, uh, yeah. well, let's uh, let's go ahead and make a pick um, um, for um, Austria, which is uh, Nikki Lauda's home country. It is, yeah, that would be uh, an emotional race for some of those guys. Uh, I think Mercedes guys for I, sure. I, I yeah, keep saying this, but you know, Bottas has got to do something this weekend. You know, and he's quick round there. You know, even when he was at Williams, he had a couple of really, really strong mm-hmm. results out there. So I, I hope he can do it just to. You know, just to keep it interesting, you know. Yeah, just keep, it, keep the pressure on Lewis. Yeah, exactly. And, um, 
Because it's going to come down to them too. I mean, I, 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 I... Oh, yeah, you know, Ferrari are out of it. But saying that, Austria is a power circuit. And, you know, maybe this is where Ferrari can... It's similar to Canada in many ways. You know, there's mm-hmm. three or four medium-stroke long, uh, you know, straights there, and you can slam on the, uh, you know, slam on the anchors there and, 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 and uh, you know, make some passes. Um, Ferrari have said that they're, you know, maybe taking a little bit of a different tact. So rather than just looking purely at uh, horsepower, they're going to be, you know, increasing some of the downforce on a, on their, um, uh, uh, you know, the faster circuits to, to maybe sort of, they may not be as fast in a straight line, but will get better aero grip. So it's a bit of a, you mean, that's like car set at 101, really. But anyway, okay, I'm not going to question them. <laughs> okay, so so your, your pick is Valtteri. I think so, yeah. Okay, Gray? That, Lewis, no brainer. Oh, you see, this is the one time y'all didn't leave me Lewis because <laughs> yeah. I get Lewis every week. So yeah. that leaves me Charles Leclerc just just for fun. So uh, we've got about five minutes left, and there was a NASCAR race up at Sonoma that we need to uh, address, and then we need, need to make some picks for NASCAR. So uh, uh, I, when I started watching the race, we had the Hendricks cars up front, uh, which was good. They were all doing well, but by the end of the day, the usual suspects uh, who've won the bulk of the races this year, Kyle Busch and Martin Truex, and I think the score is Truex four, Kyle three right now. If no, I'm Kyle's not got four as well. Kyle so four is it four and four or four, four and five? Four and four. Four and four. Okay, right. so I I don't have in front of me. So, but uh, yeah, Gray, take us through it here in a couple of minutes. It's kind of funny. Usually Richard gets stuck with no time at the end, and Gray, it's your turn. That's okay. Uh, you know. Um, <laughs> Of course, the Cup cars win Sonoma for the first road course race of the year uh, this year. NASCAR uh, went back to the carousel. They abandoned the carousel, I believe, in 1998 or something. So they had a big celebration. I believe this was the 50th year of racing at Sonoma. It used to be called Sears Point back in the day. But uh, so to do that, they uh, they they brought back the carousel, which I always enjoyed the carousel mm-hmm. uh, going out there years. It added an extra couple of turns. Uh, the race, they had shortened it up some, uh, when had shortened the track, but made the race 110 laps, and they went back to 90 laps now with the uh, to give it the same distance by adding the carousel in it. And I, I always liked that, but uh, – the race did come down to Martin Truex, like we talked about early in the opening of the show. It was his second win in a row at uh, Sonoma, his third in the last five years out there. And he joins Jeff Gordon as the only back-to-back winner uh, at, at Sonoma in, in, in the history of cup racing out there. Um, the race uh, uh, started off with uh, you know uh, Larson on the pole. I believe Larson's he's another streaky guy. This may have been his third consecutive pole uh, out there. Uh, at at Sonoma, and he gets around the place pretty good, but he, ne- yep, but, he ne- but he never seems to be able to get the finish that uh, that he needs to, needs to get. But you, there were strong uh, strong runs by the Hendrick cars. William Byron and and uh, Chase Elliott uh, were started near the front, and ran near the front. But uh, you know uh, the 19 Truex and the and the 18 uh, Kyle Busch sort of used uh, a little bit of strategy there to kind of. Uh, positioned themselves uh, for the race. Uh, 
Uh, Truex had a really good fast car throughout most of the race and, and was, was near the front all the time, but he gave up uh, stage points looking at the big picture. He would come in and pit uh, pit before the stage end, which actually put him back restarting at the front or near the front at the beginning of the next stage, and he parlayed that strategy into uh, being able to stretch out at the end. And at, down toward the end, uh, he and Kyle Busch had separated themselves from the field, uh, uh, I think with 27 laps to go, Truex came down pit road, he pitted, uh, and there was only a second, a second and a half difference between him and um, and Kyle Busch at that time. Uh, the general thinking was that, that uh, the 18 should have followed the 19 down pit road. He did not. He stayed out on the track for three additional laps before he made his pit stop. And when he come back out on the track with 24 laps to go, he was some eight seconds behind Truex. Well, he started that started a charge. He had three laps fresher tires, and he charged through the charge through and cut that eight second deficit down to about uh, about a second and a half with uh, with just a handful of laps to go. But Truex had been man- uh, there again. We'll talk about managing tires. He had kind of <laughs> saved saved a little bit for the end there and was able to hold Kyle at bay and and win the race. So. Uh, uh, Cole Pern and, and Truex played their cards right, played their strategy right, and ended up. And part of that was, you know, there were there were no cautions in the race other than the ends of, of, of the stages. So that kind of played into their hands and, and allowed them to uh, use their track position and their pit strategy to build up a pretty much insurmountable lead. And uh, they were able to parlay that into a win. Yeah, well, it was a great performance by Truex and, and the Gibbs team in general. So, But uh, we've got less than a minute left, but I just do want to mention that the one other thing at Sonoma, uh, where there were a couple of tribute cars out there to Darrell Waldrip, and this was the last race mm-hmm. on Fox for this year, which means it's the last race uh, that Darrell Waltrip had called as a broadcaster. So a lot of nice tributes to Darrell. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll miss the guy in the booth. You know, I always thought that the – Boogity, boogity, boogity was a little corny, but but it always, you know, it always kind of let let you know the race was starting. So, uh, well, Darryl, you know, uh, I, I want to just wish Daryl the, the best yeah. in his retirement, and he's he's meant a lot to the sport. He did um, both as a racer and a broadcaster. So so Gray, you got about two seconds to chime in, and then yeah. we're going to have to get off the air. Well, I hate you know I hate I kind of still kind of feel like Daryl was kind of pushed aside, but. Daryl always ended up with a, with a lot of uh, a good insight into the race. He's a three-time Cup champion with 80-some victories in the sport, so he had a lot to offer, a lot of knowledge, and, and, and we're going to miss that in the booth. Absolutely right. We're going to miss that in the booth, yep. So we wish him well. I don't know who's replacing him next year. That, that, uh, uh, nobody yeah. yet, and it may not nobody be. There may not nobody yet. There may not be a replacement. Yet, so. No, I, he, how do you replace a legend? So. Yeah. Anyway, but we are out of time, so I want to thank you, Gray. I want to thank you, Richard. I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network, and I want to thank iHeartRadio and Spreaker, and I want to thank all you folks that listen to us week in and week out. And, um, my gosh, Gray, where, where are we racing next week? Uh, Chicago. All right, pick for Chicago. Fast. Uh, Harvick's finally going to get his first win of the year. All right, Richard? Lawson. All right, that gives me Logano. So, okay, with that, we're out. Folks, have a good night. Thank you so much. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Podcasting is hard, but it doesn't have to be. Introducing the science of a podcast, hosted by Spreaker from iHeart. This weekly podcast looks at the many sides of the podcasting industry, from success, growth, and technology to the varying challenges we all face. This is one podcast about podcasting you don't want to miss. New episodes launch every Tuesday. Listen to the science of a podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.